Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. All right, this is week four in a message series called Starting Point. Now, we're almost to the point where uh, it's going to be hard to start recapping all the stuff we've covered so far. So, I'll just say this quick. If you are new to our church or you've been traveling the last couple weeks, you haven't been around, this message series makes the most sense if you listen to it in order. So in particular for you guys who are watching from home, if you didn't catch uh, weeks one, two, and three, I really want to encourage you to head back to the website where the archive is and listen to the first uh, three weeks. This stuff will make sense most if you listen to it uh, in its uh, sequential order. Having said that, though, if you are new, Here's what we're after with this message series. We're trying to press reset on our faith. We're trying to really collectively figure out, as adults, what it is we believe. Because most of us, somewhere along the the way, picked up a framework for our faith. Not for everybody, but for many, it happened when we were kids. We started believing in God right around the same time we started believing in Santa Claus. And that faith framework we picked up when we were kids, for some of us, didn't really survive into our adulthood. So when you were a kid, you picked up a few things. You kind of, maybe it was taught to you, or maybe you just began to believe that God is real, and that God loves you, and that God punishes bad people, and he rewards good people, so you better be good. And you kind of picked up some of that stuff when you were a kid, and believed it, and it saw you through a lot of life. But what happened then was, you kind of grew older. You got a little older. The years went on, and and life brought you some difficulty, and life brought you some experiences that challenged that faith framework. And it wasn't that the framework wasn't true. It wasn't that those things weren't true. They just couldn't survive the rigors of our adult life. So for many of us, what we did was we jettisoned the faith that we had when we were kids, and now we're just kind of trying to figure it out. When we started True North and we just had our 17th birthday, our church is 17 years old now, when we started, yeah, okay. So when we started True North 17 years ago, the read, my read on this island was, you know, Long Island is teeming with people who gave up on church. They didn't give up on God, they just gave up on church. The framework didn't seem to work for them anymore. So what we're trying to do here is press reset and go, what is it we actually do believe? What are we after? In week two, we talked about a very unpopular concept. We talked a little bit about sin and how a sin is a mistake that you make on purpose. And so we're not just mistakers, we're, we're sinners. We struggle with this. And what sin does is it puts distance between you and God. You know this to be true if you are a parent. If you have kids, if your kid has ever lied to you or stolen from you, if your son or daughter has ever screamed at you or cursed at you or, or betrayed you in some way, you understand that wound. You get this, right? There's a distance created. It isn't just that you're angry. It isn't just that you're hurt or that you disapprove of the behavior. There has been distance created now between you and your son or daughter. And you don't want that distance to be there. You want to be reconciled. You probably want it to be, unless perhaps submitted with humility, you maybe have some stuff of your own to work out. But for most of us, if there's that distance between your son or daughter, you want to be reconciled. And you know and I know that when something like that has occurred, sorry, isn't gonna cut it. You can forgive and you can move on, but you know your relationship isn't really going to be restored until everybody owns what's theirs to own. 
And that's what we came to in week two. And then last week, in week three, we talked about how God begins to, to, to restore the relationship, right? Three, and three of the major faith traditions on this planet, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, we all believe that God created the heavens and the earth. We all believe that humanity screwed things up with our choices and put distance between us and God. And all three of these major faith traditions all believe that God began the cleanup effort. The first piece of shattered glass that God picked up, the place where he started it, was a guy named Abraham. Father Abraham was where the cleanup effort began, where the restoration effort started. And last week we talked a little bit about Abraham and why God chose Abraham. Why did he pick this dude? Why was this guy the father of many nations? Why was he the one that God re kind of reached for? Was it because he was such a righteous guy? Was it because he was so holy and so devout and so pure and puritanical? Actually, no. Abraham, in truth, was kind of a messed up dude. He had a lot of issues, Abraham. But, and this is where we parked last week, and this was huge. Don't sleep on this if you're just tuning in. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6 Abraham believed God, and God credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God, and God gave him righteous standing, not because he was born into a certain family, not because he behaved his way into God's good graces. He was declared righteous because of his faith. And we spent a good bit of time last week talking about how we are not brought into, into good relationship with God because of the tribe we were born into or because of our good behavior and adherence to all the rules. We're brought into God's favor by what we believe, by faith. So now we come to a very important question today. And it's a question, if you grew up in and around church, if you went to Sunday school when you were a kid, it, maybe it never occurred to you to ask this question. But if you're new or newer to faith, and you're hearing me talk about the importance of faith, you're hearing me say, Abraham was declared righteous because of his faith. We are declared righteous because of our faith. It may have occurred to you to ask, if faith is really what matters, then what's with all the rules, dude? What's the deal with all the rules? Some of you, part of the reason you jettisoned your faith as a kid, part of the reason somewhere in your adolescence or early adulthood, uh, you didn't do it as a kid, but the, the, the faith you picked up as a child, some of the reason why you chucked that out the window was because of the rules. You just came to a point where like, I don't need all those rules. You, all of us have heard at some point in our life, Christianity is just a bunch of do's and don'ts. You go to church, they're just going to tell you to keep all the rules. And that is the, the, a central point of one of the biggest faith traditions on Long Island. And if you grew up the way I did, it really was about checking the boxes and keeping the rules and being declared good through your behavior. So what's the deal with the rules? Why are they there? What, what's the point? In, fa in fact, one of the rules you probably hated most when you were a kid was the idea of keeping holy the Sabbath day, that you had to go to church on Sunday. That's why some of you are still watching from home because you're like, yeah, I don't really feel like home, but I guess I have to click. <laughs> right? So what's with the rules? Really, really important point, and let's, let's just talk about, we'll say, the rules. Most, most people, when they refer to the rules, they're referring to the Ten Commandments. Let's talk about that for a minute. Because there's a framework within, these, within which these rules are brought to us, and it's important that you understand what it is. There are two possible frameworks for sets of rules. There's the family model, 
and there's the club model. The family model and the club. The church has tried to create a third category, which I'll get to in a minute, but there's two major categories of, 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 of rule-giving milieu. The first would be the family model. You understand the family model, because most of you, all of you, in some way grew up within a family, and your family had rules. Your parents gave you rules growing up. You will go to bed at a certain hour. This is when your bedtime is. You're gonna brush your teeth before you go to bed. You gotta do your homework. You gotta eat your broccoli. You gotta stop giving your little brother a wedgie. These, these are the rules. Little brothers get wedgies, that's how it goes. Okay, so, you will stop, you know, you, you'll do this, you won't do that. Your parents did not give you rules so that you could become their son or daughter. Your parents gave you rules because you are their son or daughter. When your parents gave you rules, it wasn't, you gotta do all these things and then you can become my son. It was, you're my son, you're my daughter, this is how we do things in our family. That's the family model. Your parents give you rules because you're their kids. If you're a parent, you understand this. You can't give rules to somebody else's kids. You ever tried that? <laughs> Not fun. Kid has a play date, comes over the house, and they come from a family where they do things real differently than you, and you're like, whoa, don't do that, Johnny. You know, and, and you understand quickly, you can't, you can't scold another kid anymore. It doesn't work anymore, right? I mean, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but just because I'm curious. Like, how many of you, when you, how many of you when you were kids got scolded or disciplined by somebody else's parents? Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, everybody my age. Yeah. Because when I grew up, that's how it was, man. Whosever house you were at, that mom made the rules. And if you disobeyed the rules in that house, that mom would call your mom and you'd catch another beating when you got home. The mother, and the mom would always side with the other mom. Not so today. Other mom calls your mom today and your mom's probably going, how dare you impugn the reputation of my perfect angel? Like it just, it's a whole... Anyway, that has nothing to do with the sermon. I just had to rant for a minute. Where it is. Okay, so. The rules are given because you're part of the family. The other model is the club model. The club model is very simple. This is our club. Oh, would you like to be a part of our club? Perhaps. We'll consider it. But these are the rules. You've got to pay your dues and keep the rules. If you want to be a part of the club, these are the boxes you have to check. You want to be a part of the club, these are the things you have to do. You do those things, you can be a part of the club. But if you break the rules or you don't do the thing, then you get kicked out of the club. Membership is conditional. Everybody with me? Very simple, yeah? Family model, you get the rules because you're already a part of the thing. Club model, you get the rules so that you can become a part of the thing. And then the church has kind of tried to create a third category. The model of the homeowners association. Some of you who have been a part of a homeowners association in your life know why, that's why you're laughing, because you understand the homeowners association has rules. There's rules. They can't really kick you out of the neighborhood. They can't make you sell your house, but they can make your life miserable and make you feel very judged. Right? In the homeowners association model, uh, there's sort of an agreement, there's a group of standards, and your grass has to be cut to a certain length, and the shutters on your house have to be painted only certain colors, and you have to park in certain places, and there's like all these little rules, nitpicky rules that everyone kind of signs off on, and when there's a homeowners association model, one or two people in the neighborhood elect themselves as cops. 
I'm not talking about actual police officers. I'm talking about people who want to police the behavior of others. And they sort of walk around the neighborhood and they take mental notes on how long your grass is and, and what color this is and where you're parking your car. And they just sort of develop. And, and if you don't obey by the rules and you don't keep up the standards, you'll get a letter or you'll get a fine or people will start shaking their head at you. And it just doesn't that feel a little bit like that's kind of how church works sometimes? Like you've got, there's this supposed, like we're supposed to be a part of the thing and we're already, in theory, we already belong to it, but there's a bunch of people who have kind of elected themselves as cops and their job is to sort of walk around and make sure everyone else's life is up to standard and everyone else's life is up to snuff and they have opinions about how long your grass is or what you do with your life or how you spend your weekend or whatever and they, and if you don't measure up, then there's just going to be a, you, they can't kick you out, but there's going to be a little friction. You follow me? Everybody with me? I have two callings on this earth, two. And the older I get, the more solidified they become. One, I want to see every lost person on Long Island connect with their Heavenly Father. And two, I want to burn the Homeowners Association model right out of the church. Thank you. But here's the deal. Like, I, okay, I have lights in my eyes. I can't see who was clapping. But I would bet money. Could I just be a pastor to you for a minute? Could I get up in your face? Some of you who are clapping have opinions about how others live their lives. Some of you who are clapping have thoughts about how this person does this or this person does that, and you got a nice big two-by-four sticking out of your eye, and you're trying to take a piece of sawdust out of somebody else's. Check yourself. Check yourself. And some of you who are clapping now... No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so... The rules are given within a certain milieu. It's either the, 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 the family model or the club model. How, when God gives us rules, how does it work? Well, let's go back to Abraham. This is where we left it last week. Father Abraham did have many sons. He had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob. And Jacob had his name changed. God changed Jacob's name to Israel. And Israel had 12 sons. Imagine that. 12 boys. And they became the 12 tribes of Israel. One of them was a guy named Joseph. And through a long series of circumstances, we'll get to another, another time, <laughs> Joseph came to reside in Egypt and came to be second in command for the Pharaoh. So when there was a famine in the land, Joseph gathered all his 12, 11 brothers to him, and all of their families came to reside in Egypt, and this people group that God started began to multiply and multiply and multiply like crazy. The Egyptians became threatened, and the, and the children of God were enslaved. For 400 years, they were slaves in Egypt. 400 years is a long time. So get this. After God promises these things to Father Abraham, Generation after generation after generation after generation after generation live and die and never know the Lord. God to them was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That story about how Abraham believed and God credited it to him as righteousness was sort of drifting back into legend. Until God hears the cry of his people and he sends a guy named Moses. He says, Moses, you're going to go talk to Pharaoh and here's what you're going to say. You're going to tell him, let my people go. And Moses does it. He goes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's like, no way I'm letting my workforce go. Forget that. And God begins to visit plagues upon Egypt. Plague after plague. After, nature goes haywire. 
There are frogs, and there are flies, and there are, there's, there's hail, and the river runs red with blood, and the livestock die, and people are covered with boils. It's just everything goes sideways. And finally, God says to Pharaoh, I'm done playing with you, Pharaoh. You're going to let my people go, or you're going to understand who God really is. Pharaoh kind of thought he was God. So the Lord gives Moses some instructions. You're going to tell everybody, slaughter a lamb. That sounds weird to you and me, but that was a very common thing to do back then. Slaughter a lamb. Okay. Take some of the blood of the lamb and smear it over the doorpost of your house. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is in the book of Exodus. Smear some of the lamb's blood over the door of your house. Why? Trust me. Dude, that's gross. Trust me. This is weird. We've never done this before. You have to bring a little faith to the table. Are you seeing a pattern? Have a little faith. Trust me. Step out in this. And when the angel of death comes to visit and take the firstborn son of every Egyptian household, he passes over the homes of those who believed. And so our Jewish brothers and sisters celebrate Passover to mark this day. God, the next, the next day, Pharaoh goes, that's it, that's enough, you can go. And the children of Israel, who are not yet even named the children of Israel, leave Egypt and begin their wanderings through the desert. Three months in, God brings them to the Sinai Desert, and he, he brings them to Mount Sinai. Not the one near Rocky Point, the one in the Middle East. <laughs> and here's what God says to Moses. This is Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Hi, I'm the Lord, I'm Yahweh, I'm your God. Did you catch that God actually introduced himself? Like, yeah, you don't really know me. I was the voice in the burning bush all that time ago, but, but now I just, I want you to know me. You asked me my name then and I said, I am that I am. Moses, let's get, let's get to know each other. I'm Yahweh. I'm the Lord, your God. I'm the one who just rescued you from your slavery in Egypt. To which, it probably wouldn't occur to us to ask this question, because we've heard this, some of us have heard this story before. But there probably was an instinct within this people group to ask why? Why have you rescued us? I mean, you're, okay, you're the Lord. You're our God, and that would make us my people. Yeah, okay, so you're God, and we're your people. And how did that happen? Like, do we have to keep a bunch of rules now? Like, do we have to jump, jump and stay in line? And is there a whole, is there a thing? No, no, I'm the Lord, you're God. I'm your God, you're my people, I've rescued you, I have already redeemed you, I've taken you out of your slavery, we're starting all over, we're pressing reset, this is a new beginning. And because you are already mine, because I am already the Lord your God and you are already my people, 
here's how we're going to do things in our family. And so he gives them the rules. But these are not conditions for membership in a club. This is a loving father telling his children, here's how we're going to do things in our house. And the first rule is, you will have no other gods but me. Now you would think that would be a no-brainer. Yeah, not going to be a problem. We saw what you did to Pharaoh. We cool. But as, dig this, as God is giving these commandments to Moses, at this time, everybody else is down at base camp, melting down their jewelry to create a God that they can worship. Over and over again, now this is important, over and over and over again, the children of Israel break the rules. They disobey. They make mistakes on purpose. They disregard what God has said. And what does God do? Does God kick them out of the club? Does he say, that's it, you're done, no more? No. He does with the children of Israel the same thing you do with your kids. He puts them in timeout. All right, you want to worship other gods? You're in timeout. 70 years of Babylonian captivity. Here you go. You want to worship other gods? You want to do other things? You want to ignore me? There's going to be time out. It's time out, but he always restores them. There's time out, but he always brings them back. They're disciplined, but they're loved. And always God is acting in their interest. And always God is protecting. Everybody wonders, well, why was God so hard in the Old Testament? Why was God like so tough on the Israelites? Because he is protecting the bloodline. The bloodline, this is the bloodline of Jesus Christ coming down into history. It begins with Abraham and goes to Isaac and goes to Jacob and goes to Joseph and on down through the centuries. Israel is the vehicle through which God is going to deliver redemption to you and me. He's protecting the bloodline. So, so all this time, God, the children wander, and God brings them back. They wander and brings them back. This is not even, it, not only is it not a club model, it's not even, it's hardly a family model. It's almost like the, the Hotel California model. Check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. You want to check out? You go ahead and check out. You will always be my son or daughter. You will always be part of this family. I will always be the Lord your God. I'm always going to pursue you. I'm always going to chase you. I will never rest until we are reconciled. Only you can keep you away from me. You want to choose to live your life separate from me? I will not handcuff you. I will not take you against your will. You're going to have to come to me because you want me. I've given you that choice. I've given you free will. But I will always be the Lord your God. I will always be your father. I will always love you. I will always care for you. You will always be precious to me. This is how God sees you. And some of you, you grew up in a club model. You grew up thinking the, re the reason you jettisoned the rules, the reason you chucked it out, the reason you walked away all those years ago is because that doesn't make any sense. Check all the rules and then God will approve of me. Like God is impressed by this, 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 or that. You know that doesn't make sense. You know in your bones that isn't how it works. So how does it work? It's our faith that saves us. Because God sees our faith and imparts righteousness to us. He can do that because of the sacrifice Jesus made on our behalf. We'll get there. For today, as we land the plane, as we close for today, we're going to jump forward a few millennia to the Gospel of John. 
John the Apostle, who was with Jesus for the entirety of his ministry, wrote this. This is the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Pause right there. I'm going to leave that up there for a second. Look at the verse. Look at it. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believe, to those who behaved, uh, to those who were good, mm -mm. to those who checked all the boxes, to those who met up to the exacting standards of the homeowners association, to those who were approved of by all the good Christian men and women who wanted to judge. No. No, no, no. To those who believed, he, became the, he, he gave the right to become what? Members of the club? Members in good standing of the Christian community. Members in good standing of our little homeowners. No, 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 and no. To those who believed, he gave the right to become children of God. His children, that's you, his sons and daughters. Don't you kick the rules out the window because you're worried that, that there's some vengeful God up there who's going to scold you or burn you because you didn't keep them. These rules are given by a loving father who says, you're my beloved son, you're my beloved daughter. This is how we're going to do things in our family. What's up to you next is not going to be a matter of behavior. It is going to be a matter of faith. It's going to be about whether or not you believe. We'll pick it up right there for part five next Sunday. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to gather, and we thank you. Oh, it feels weird, and it's been a long time since we've done this, but we thank you for the rules. We don't always love the rules. Sometimes we wish the rules were different, but like any good father, you, you do this stuff because you love us and you care for us. God, it's in us to rebel, it's in us to, to wander, it's in us to just to kick that stuff to the curb and think we know better. Would you just remind us daily, would you just remind us like constantly and all the time that you love us, that you care for us, that these rules are not given as a condition by which we might join something, but that these rules are given as a confirmation of a relationship already in place, that we're already your beloved sons and daughters. Fill us with faith to believe that. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give, or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word True North to 77977 on your cell phone and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.